Welcome back to Jews on Film. My name is Harry Adensasser. I'm a Jew who enjoys getting use out of his film degree. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Why don't you introduce yourself, Daniel? Hi, I'm Daniel Zana. I'm a filmmaker, also getting use out of my film degree. I work as an editor and filmmaker. I'm based in Seattle. And I'm also a Jew this week, just like last week. I'm still a Jew. We're very, very, very excited to be joined by our guest, Simon File, who's an actor and performer who you may know from such things as Ocean's 8, Orange is the New Black, Billions, The Blacklist, The Deuce, I Could Go On, The Miss Maisel, The Night Of, Blue Bloods, House of Cards, Nurse Jackie, so many things. He's blushing already. It's Simon File. Hi, Simon. Hey, Daniel. Thanks so much for being on the show today and oh. to, to discuss a film that you selected and was near and dear to your heart mm. called The Frisco Kid, uh, starring Gene Wilder. Can you tell us why you picked this movie? Absolutely. So I have like a very soft spot in my heart for Gene Wilder in general, but there's something about that film that just sits when people ask me, like, what is a Jewish film? That is the thing that pops to my head. Okay. Okay. Not to tip your hand too much for the ratings already, but geez, that's coming in hot. Like you're saying this is like the Jewish film that you recommend to people. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was uh, raised on some films like my mom, we would watch anti-mame every year. I actually wrote my college entrance essay on the weirdness of an Orthodox Jewish family watching It's a Wonderful Life every year at Christmas. But we also watched Ten Commandments in 1776. So like films were big in our house and this is the Jewiest of all the Jew films. Hmm. So like not like Schindler's List. You didn't go like deep end. Yeah, we, we were a Holocaust family. We didn't need to watch movies about it. Hmm. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> We've discussed before on the podcast. I didn't grow up in a Holocaust family. Like that wasn't part of my experience growing up. Not to say that I didn't have exposure to that, obviously, as a, as a Jew in, in day school and stuff like that. But um, so it sounds like you were you were steeped in the classics growing up with uh, Jewish films. I guess. I mean, it's funny. I don't know what the classics are. Like the Mel Brooks thing actually didn't really appeal to me. And that wasn't something we were. Yeah, I, it was an acquired taste later in life. OK, um, it wasn't something our family watched too much of like Yentl. I remember watching that a lot as a kid and obviously Fiddler. But I think that that's those are those are the big like Jew films that I can think of as a kid. Got it. OK, before we get too into it. Harry, can you do the Harry Ottensaucer IMDb summary of the film Frisco Kid starring Gene Wilder? Absolutely. This is our uh, patented summary. I'm just going to be reading this off of my computer, as always. For this film, it follows a Polish rabbi wanders through the Old West on his way to lead a synagogue in San Francisco. On the way, he is nearly burned at the stake by Native Americans and almost killed by outlaws. Doesn't do it justice. I have to, I'm going to have to rewrite that. I'm going to go it's interesting in. what they decided to focus on there. It's, def- it right. def- it's definitely not the whole plot, but no. certain key moments that I guess someone found really uh, exciting. Also, the most troubling, the whole Native American piece is like super troubling. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a there's a few things that don't like, like a lot of these films that are a bit older, you know, for context, this is 1979. Right. Uh, the film also co-stars Harrison Ford, which is kind of after Star Wars, right? And mm-hmm. before Empire, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I got some strong Han Solo vibes, like the way that he's yelling at Gene Wilder, like very. Well, like, the way that he's yelling is probably the most animated I've ever seen Harrison Ford, especially right. compared to late period Harrison Ford. And that right. was took me aback a little bit. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. That was also an extra bonus, like more Harrison Ford, more good. Yeah, definitely interesting seeing him 
not in his traditional vest, you know, which is in itself kind of like a Hasidic look, the Han Solo vest, the black uh, and the white, uh, you know. If we're going to get, we're going to get start. we do stretches a lot of this podcast, so we stretch things and like square peg, round hole situations. We do a lot of that here. So, so make sure to stretch a little bit and kind of like get into that mode. So Gene Wilder, Jewish, Harrison Ford, technically Jewish, didn't, doesn't identify as Jewish, but his mother is Jewish. Mm. Harry sent me an article earlier that, according to some article online, which you have to take as fact, he's, they consider him 75% Jewish. What does Adam Sandler say? I mean, he's the, he's the definer, oh, right? Adam, oh, that's true. Does he make it into a song? Does, yeah. Is he in a song? Is Harrison Ford in? I feel like he is. Okay. Got it. We could probably look that up and figure that out. Starting off with a very solid footing. I mean, the film starts out in Poland. And before we get into it, I feel like one thing that I had a thought about is like, how bad is the situation in San Francisco that you have to go and send a letter or telegram to Poland to get a rabbi to come to you? And how does that process work? I'm so curious. I mean, there were no Jews, right? Like if you're, if you're mm-hmm. Jews living in San Francisco in like the wild West yeah. and you want like a, like a geschmack, like a real rabbi, you got to go back to the old country. There's no, there's no real rabbis in San Francisco. Right. So it's like a mail order situation. Like yeah, yeah, I'd like one a, rabbi, please. Send. Correct. Instead of a bride, you know? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. This is a Western film. You know, it's absolutely playing into the Western genre and you know, it, it's a lot of callback to like these films where, you know, the first thing that a community will move out to, to some Western town, I guess San Francisco is almost as far West as you could go, but they go to this new town. And the first thing they put up their school, they put up their church and it's like, let's build the community kind of with us. So this theme of, you know, we're this aimless community looking to establish ourselves. We need our kind of religious leader. That does, I think, frame this whole journey that, that these characters go on throughout the film. And, you know, the fact that they're reading, reaching back to the old country, you know, back to Poland, I think that works in some of the more Jewish ideas to the Western, where it's, you know, that's where the sort of the great schools were. And even as, you know, Jews started moving towards the United States, like the kind of pillars of Judaism, of Jewish, you know, learning of uh, like rabbinate and, and all that kind of stuff is existing in Poland. So it's about that kind of shift from there towards America. And I love also, and I'd forgotten this until you just started like replaying that, right? Was that they wanted a real rabbi, but they they got Gene Wilder, right? Like they got the sort of a, the fool, the light, which obviously like Yiddish theater, every, every theatrical discipline has that tradition, right? They got the like the village idiot which is why we're off to the races because it right. wouldn't be a funny movie if they got like, I, I don't know, the serious guy. And so the idea that he's, he's ice skating instead of like learning Talmud, <laughs> you know, sets him up as this kind of like doofus who's just kind of heads in the clouds and, you know, nobody else wants to do it. So they send him, but as one who loves authenticity and from previous episodes like Yentl and American Pickle, I love a good authentic Jewish accent. And there, I mean, it's in this movie, like all over the place. We have authentic Yiddish. We have authentic prayers. We have, it's, it's a very, very authentic. So when we start out, we have this council of rabbis who are talking in pretty good Yiddish, I would say. And, you know, they're discussing who's going to go. And finally, like you said, they they get Gene Wilder and they put him on a ship to San Francisco. No, he stops. Where does he stop? He doesn't go to San Francisco. There's some sort of in Philadelphia, maybe. Uh, Yes, I think you're right. He starts in Philadelphia. Gene Wilder ends up in Philadelphia. He meets these people in line at the depot or whatever it is. and, And they scam him into you know, getting money for some, I I couldn't quite understand the scheme. It's a little bit convoluted, but long story short, he ends up on a covered wagon headed out West with these 
three uh, scammers. And that's when I think he gets jumped and he gets dumped out the wagon with all of his stuff. And 14 minutes in is when the credits start. But my question is, do you think the act itself of him getting dumped and thrown out is an anti-Semitic act or it's just kind of he's the rube who fell for the scheme? Oh, absolutely the latter. Like, and I have I have a you know a keen nose, I think, for anti-Semitism in, in most disciplines. Yeah, no, he's just he's just the latest mark, right? He's a guy mm-hmm. from, from the old country. It doesn't right. matter what really I don't think they even know that he's Jewish. Okay. Okay. My my I'm very sensitive, especially with these <laughs> in these times and in this kind of movie. I just want to like call it out when I see it. So, you know, maybe I should turn the sensitivity down a little bit. No, it's good. I look I I feel like this movie and part of why I love it is and it's amazing because like the kind of movies like Mel Brooks and even American Pickle, I think, is a, is a good throwback to this. You wouldn't make these movies today like you couldn't. And not that you wouldn't. You couldn't get them made like they're, they're so parochial and specific and like niche. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm still amazed that Mel Brooks was able to make the movies that he made. Right. Mm-hmm. That there was enough of an audience that a studio was willing to back it. And I feel like if anything in this movie, the racism, which, you know, we alluded to earlier was Native Americans. Right. You've got a bunch of Italian actors Native American, like it's just that's oh, it's so cringy, um, and I I know that that was the norm back then, but that it's super it's super hard to watch. Um, whereas you've got a real Jew playing a Jew, actually right. like a realer Jew than I see most Jews on on screen today, like Gene Wilder, as you said, right when he was davening, he was davening, man. Like, oh yeah, here or Zarua, like he's he's saying Tfila, like it's great. Um, and when he's when he's when he catches those Amish guys and he's like, Lansman. Like he's going off in Yiddish. I don't. I have a feeling that wasn't scripted. I think Gene just kind of just started yapping in Yiddish. It was amazing. You know what? I, I think that this movie, more so than any that we've seen, has a real respect for its Jewish characters. And it's as much as it uses him as sort of the butt of some of the jokes. There's a real respect, A, just in what you were talking about with the language that they're using and the authentic prayers, which I'm going to get back to at, at the end of this rant because I have something cool that I figured out there. But mm. just like there's a, there's a whole narrative thread throughout this, this story of his character kind of explaining to, to Tommy, to his eventual partner, to Harrison Ford, just about what's going on, explaining that it's, you know, the, the Shabbos, the sort of Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, and that he can't go here and explaining what he's doing to these people. And there's a real... I think it was, it's not only a respect from the characters in the movie towards what's going on, but to the audience, it's like, we're not just using jokes for the caricature of what a, of a Jew is. Like it's, there's a real respect and just demonstration of what's going on. And then what I said, I would, what I promised I would call back to there, there's a real awareness and like using the Jewish themes, you know, very intentionally and accurately. So the, the one repeated prayer that he kind of says a couple of times that I caught up on, that I caught was, you know, the words, if I, if I have them here, whipped out some of my chaz. And it, it took me a long time to place it. And then I realized it's, it's the Shir Shalyom. It's the sort of day of the week, the kind of uh, like the prayer you're supposed to say, but the end of the Thursday one. And it always wraps up his praying, which makes sense. It's the last mm. thing that. Oh, interesting. Jews will say at the end of prayer. And I have to confirm this, but if I remember correctly, it always precedes a Saturday and it always precedes a scene where he has to like navigate with these characters. Oh, I'm not riding on my horse today. And it's just that kind of attention to detail. You know, like I've been saying this whole time, it's just, it's rooted in so much respect, I think for, you know, the Jewishness of this character and like the deeper, you know, what, what will sort of come out of that in the movie. 
Yeah. And I, I will say also like when he did the dancing with the with the Native Americans, right, in the teepee, right? That was where he said Orzarua, right? Orzarua Latzadik Uli Yishre Lev Simcha, right? Like he was he was picking a song that was appropriate, right? Like he was trying to do some joyful dancing, make them happy, have a good time. So he sang a song about Simcha. And I just feel like that the le- that level of authenticity of it, like being in his bones, he didn't need to research that. He didn't need to like get a consultant to tell him like I don't actually know Gene Wilder's background that much, but between the accent and the and the davening and the Yiddish, like I get enough. I get enough. Yeah. And that to me is part of the heart and soul of that film, that it, it feels, as you said, so deeply authentic. And it's it's like a love it's a it's a love letter in a yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. Like the fact that by the end of the film, this Schlemiel who was like had to be forced to go, he finds like this. I don't know if he finds, we discover in him this like deep well of identity and pride and being Jewish. And like, that's the leadership that this community needed, not some book learner, right? Mm -hmm. They needed someone with heart and they got it. I also feel like in showing throughout the film, Tommy and Avram, those are, you know, Tommy is Harrison Ford, Avram is Gene Wilder. Throughout the film, they are, you know, as you mentioned, Simon, they're they're running into Amish folks. He he mistakes them for for his fellow Lanzmann. And later on in the film, they, they after Harrison Ford is, you know, catches a stray bullet, he they are rescued by monks. And I feel like what you what you were saying about respecting religious traditions, I feel like they portray them you know, in a respectful way, obviously there's like some gags around it, but it's not played. So I feel like the fact that they're showing them, you know, not poking too much fun, but like showing a lot of different traditions is kind of a respect for religious culture, which is kind of, you know, you don't often see in like very mainstream cinema. I mostly agree with you. Like, I, I think obviously, look, I'm going to beat this, this horse to death. The native American thing, obviously like it's a lot of cliche because that's what they were doing. Cause they didn't, they didn't respect that tradition. The, the monks like, look, I don't, I don't know that much about the, like the monastic tradition in, in Christianity. I don't even know what denomination that was with the exception of that actor. I never remember his name. He's the guy from ghost, the crazy guy, you know, that one act, right? So like you see him and he sort of telegraphs that something terrible is about it. Like, this is being sent up in some way, right? Like it's not going to be taken seriously. Other than him, I do feel like you're right. The monks were played respectfully and straight. Um, obviously, there was a gag, but sure. he was the the guy, the fish out of water, right? Like right. they were actually respectful, respectfully handled. And they just laughed, right? So like I think he asked for salt or something oh. and then they, they pass it or, or whatever it is. And then salt. Yeah. Pass the salt, please. Yeah. His name is Vincent Chevelli, that guy. Yes. That, the kind of spooky looking monk who yes, kind of has yes, that yes. gaunt face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a character actor. We didn't really bring in just yet about how uh, Harrison Ford is introduced, but essentially after Gene Wilder is dumped off the wagon, he kind of makes his way west. So he's very much not in San Francisco, and his goal is to get to San Francisco. He has a Torah in tow from the old country. And the idea is that he's going to be married to one of the members of the community who has a daughter, a lovely daughter that he's yet to meet, but he has a picture of her. And so he gets work at the railroad, uh, working on a chain gang, and there's like a funny gag. And they play that for laughs for a little bit, and he keeps on hitting the guy over the foot. on the foot over and over again. And somehow or another, they don't, you know, they don't Children. devolve into fisticuffs. But you know, so they play that for uh, for fun. And then he he eventually buys a ticket after making some money on the chain gang. He gets onto a a railroad car, and that is when he's introduced to Harrison Ford. 
Right. And I'll just say there's also that lovely moment, which they also played for laughs, where the like very busty woman comes on and like wants to sit next to him, which I thought was such a like both a sweet like play out both in his innocence and religiousness. Like it was it was sort of playing to both of those. But also I had forgotten until I watched it again that she is literally completely silent. Like she doesn't say anything and it's not justified. Like the movie doesn't have a, uh, a, a thing where like people don't talk. And they just made it for that one scene where she like at a certain point where he didn't move over the third time, she would have been like, um, excuse me. Right. Yeah. But they wanted to play that conceit. Mm-hmm. I don't like it's amazing. It's just like such a strange little outtake. And she's just like a prop. Essentially. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 A little bit, which is like, eh. yeah. I mean, like when they, you say it like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just being honest, calling it what it is. Right? I mean, no, that's, that's exactly how it feels. Yeah. I mean, when a person doesn't have a speaking part and they're, you know, you know, displayed a certain way, I think they want the yeah. viewer to kind of, you know, I'm stealing this from a review that I definitely read about the film where I think I saw, they said that just tonally it's in a lot of places and it doesn't, like it it hasn't really decided where it wants to be. And I think the insertion of a gag like that, of this sort of silent gag, that's like this weird, you know, physical comedy kind of thing is just the way that plays with what's, you know, in some of the scenes before then, real dramatic, like intensity, like that scene when he's, you know, I'm going all the way back now, but when he's sort of beat up and thrown out of the carriage in the beginning, like uh. there there is no laughter, there's no humor, there, there's nothing other than just like, like devastation and just this guy is really being beat up. And then, you know, you get just like a silly scene, like we were just talking about with, you know, when they're working on the rail cars and he's, uh, you know, and like, there's this uh, more physical comedy and then more of this like cultural, like distinction. And I'll have to call attention to it as we keep going through some of the different plot points, but this movie doesn't feel as bound by a specific tone or structure. It's just kind of going in all these different places and, you know, seeing what lands here, seeing how crazy we can get in this scene with like the native Americans, seeing how we can change the vibe in the fight scene at the end. And I I think it's really interesting the way the movie does that. It's funny because as you say that, I'm realizing like if that to me makes it even more of a love story uh, to, to Judaism and Jewish identity like that, that is to me such a, a facet of Jewish stories of like, think about Fiddler, right? Like, and I don't, I don't like using Fiddler as the archetypical story. It's just the most well-known, but that like, you know, the wedding scene and then the, the pogrom, the Russians come in, the, the Cossacks, right? Like, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a roller coaster to it. Right. And that, that's real. Like, that's what makes the story feel real. Yes. He gets speed up and it's not funny. And then we also get to have some silent comedy and some slapstick. Like we get the whole package. It's great. Because if this was a comedy, if this was like a Mel Brooks film, like that, that beating up scene, because there's, there's truth to it. You know, there's truth. And whether we call that anti-Semitic beating up or just the, the West, you know, out in the West and the sort of lawlessness and like the beating up, like there's absolutely truth to it. But in a Mel Brooks movie, it would- would kind of be undercut. It would be played for laughs. We would cut away from it soon enough. And it felt like this movie oscillates between, you know, full seven, eight minute, just like deep runs of just very intense, like just intense and, you know, whatever, these devastating scenes. And then just all of a sudden is, you know, we're in a totally different film. And like, you know, all of this that we've spoken about is not even mentioning like the buddy comedy aspect of it once he actually links up with Harrison Ford. Right. I mean, Mel Brooks literally had uh, Inquisition victims' heads being played as bongos. So, yeah, I think you've... We're, we're from town. From that Absolutely. Yeah. On that note, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay. And we're back. So we're back on the train. Maybe Gene Wilder goes to the bathroom and Harrison Ford's in there. Um, and then Harrison Ford comes out first, puts up his bandana, 
and then very politely asks for everyone's money. Doesn't hurt anybody. Doesn't, you know, he's a bank robber with a heart of gold. I'll mm-hmm. say he robs the car and gets out. And one of the gags that they're playing is I think one of the kids is playing simple. Simon says, I'd not heard it being called simple Simon before, but essentially, you know, very apropos for you, Simon. Yeah, I was going to uh, say it's an, it's an appropriate uh, alternative. It is an established canon. And so I think he makes a little gag where at first, Initially, before he goes to the bathroom, he doesn't understand the game, but then he comes back from the bathroom. Everyone has their hands on their head because they're being stuck up. And so then, Gene, you know, so Avram makes a joke and does a simple Simon joke and he gets off the train and then is looking around camping and he goes fishing. And that is when we meet Harrison Ford, who has a gun pointed. You know, he has a shotgun and he's shooting. He shoots a fish for Avram. And sort of that sparks their relationship. How hungry are you? Uh, I'm pretty hungry. If you had been here yesterday, we could have had roast chicken. Yeah, one thing I I thought that was interesting, and I do want to talk about at some point, is the authenticity of the Judaism that Gene Wilder, you know, adheres to, right? So, like... There's one thing that we, we can talk about later in the story with regards to sunset. But as far as like the fish, I feel like it was fairly part in the expression kosher. Like, you know, it's fairly easy to like slaughter a fish and have it be kosher. For those who are not familiar, it's a lot more complicated to slaughter an animal like a cow or a chicken and have it be kosher without yes. a lot of knowledge. I, I actually I think that most of his and this again, like authenticity, I think most of his representation of Jewish like halachic practice was pretty spot on. I'm going to skip right to the thing, right? The the Shabbat thing was the only thing that bugged me. And it bugged me for two reasons, even though even as I appreciate the like visual gag of like that thing where he's like trying to duck and like see if the sun will go under the mat. Like, I love that. That was not, yeah. But A, obviously, like that's not how Shabbat works. But actually, that's not the thing that bothers me. The thing that bothers me is like, Pikuach nefesh is a really, right, the, the value of breaking Shabbat or breaking halacha yeah, in order to save a life. Like you're being chased by people who are going to kill you. Get on the horse and go, man. Like that was actually the thing that bothered me more, even as I still love the joke of like, yeah, ducking the sun. Right. I mean, yeah. I thought you were referring to our climactic scene where, you know, we're talking about saving a life literally. But we'll save that. But essentially, uh, you know, like waiting to the last minute to make sure that someone's intentions are clear before we make mm-hmm. a decisive action. But, mm-hmm. you know, Avram and Tommy have met each other. They're having a camp out. They are enjoying fish together. It is delightful. And we have our we have our buddy comedy set up. We have our dynamic. Tommy is a very gruff bank robber with the heart of gold, like I said. And Avram is a very pious person who's trying to get to San Francisco with his Torah. And so Tommy has the sort of knowledge of the West and and will help him get there. What his motivation is exactly for partnering with Avram, I don't quite understand. Mm -hmm. Like, why not just rob him and get on with his day or don't? I, I, I mean, not that I don't love their chemistry together. I mean, it's beautiful. Like their bromance is solid. And, um, and it grows throughout, you know, the movie and, and they really like stick up for each other and advocate for each other towards the end. It's really like it's it's, you know, it's cowboy love. And I am. I'm down for it. Pretty yeah. broke back. I agree. I think uh, I don't you, you, you nailed it earlier, right? That he's he's the 
the thief with a heart of gold. I think he had the money that he needed. I think he took pity on this poor Schlemiel. He like didn't need to rob him and he kind of felt bad for him. Like that's the vibe that I got. I definitely think it was part of that. He saw this guy that was all alone, didn't know where he was going. You know, he kind of started, he tries to send him off and like with a set of directions, it's like, you know, go over this thing, then go to this hill, then go, you know, 10 miles this way. And like, you know, the second that he sends him off to go on it, he's like, you know, you're facing in the wrong direction. Like there, so there's this kind of pity, like this person, this man's going to die without me. You know, he also, he turns him into a little bit of a henchman later. You know, he tricks him into watching the horses when he goes on to rob the bank. So there's this little element of maybe I can use this guy to my advantage. So they do stop into a town um, and they're looking for lodgings. And one of the things that Avram said, which I, he said, find me someplace pretty cheap, hopefully, you know? And I was like, ah, okay. All right. We get it. Movie's <laughs> going to go for it. Yeah. You know, why not? And then, um, you know, when they're parking in town, you see Avram kind of like playing with the leather rope, trying to get it to stick. Uh-huh. And that reminded me of a bit from a uh, previously covered movie, City Slickers uh, with Jason Diamond, another episode where they're kind of doing the whole lasso bit and trying to like get it. And so like that sort of, to me, kind of, I wonder if it's an homage to Bridge this yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I think that's him kind of getting in his miles as a as a cowboy, so to speak, and kind of like having that transformation sort of take place over the, the course of the film. You know, as they progress through town, there is, as you guys mentioned, this sort of prohibition from riding on Shabbat. And so I think Avram says that he wants to get to a specific area before sun, before Friday starts. And basically, Avram essentially uses some heavy Jewish guilt to get uh, Tommy to, to ride. And he, you know, he regrets it, but they do it. And um, so they, they're riding through the snow. It's pretty awful, but then they get through it. They get to another town. And as you said, Simon, they're robbing a bank. And uh, I thought a really funny gag was once the folks who were robbed in the bank, they're chasing after now. Now we have a, a, a chase set up between people who whose money was stolen and Avram and Tommy, I would say like maybe the last two thirds of the film is sort of setting up, you know, them running away from people. But then also, you know, we have the folks in the village with from, you know, the bank folk. And then we also have our initial scammers who have then caught up with them uh, from another town. I think there's also like the the scene where they're, you know, obviously trapped by the sort of Native American tribe and there's that whole thing. And we've mentioned a lot of parts of that that are certainly problematic. I mean, it was obvious to me right away that that chief was, you know, a a white actor. And I think we confirmed that. But I think there's a really interesting thing that sort of happens there. It's this turn in the movie. You know, we're talking about all these tonal shifts where it starts to really interrogate his faith, his faith uh, Mm -hmm. and his faith and his allegiance to, you know, the Torah that's with him. And, you know, it just sort of starts like challenging that, like in, in, I think, really interesting ways. Like, A, it's also the first scene where we get to see him kind of leading a community and he has this whole thing about rain. And again, he's he's playing with this, like, you know, how he's inspiring them by telling them that he can cause it to rain, but he's also like, God doesn't have to cause it to rain. Like it can go both ways. And I think it's this turn in the movie where a, he's really assuming this sort of leadership and we see him kind of shifting into this gear of becoming the rabbi that he's going to be for the community. But, you know, I also want to focus on what I was saying before, just about like the interrogation of his faithfulness. You know, one of the big scenes I thought was when they they lower him into the fire, right? Because they ask him like, Would you trade your horse for Torah? Yes. Your horse and your boots? Yes. And your clothes? Yes. And everything else you own? Yes, everything. 
if I get to keep this Torah, like, like, will you go free? And he's like, no, I'm not leaving without the Torah. And he's like, would you purify your soul by fire? Would you purify your soul by fire? And I just thought that was like a really cool, well, he's a little like, you know, sort of Christ posed in there. He's kind of like his arms to his side. So, you know, we're losing the Jewishness there a little bit, but Uh I thought that was a really cool sort of like Jewish scene, just a more intense Jewish scene, like not, not as much humor, but more like, you know, what we're saying, like that sort of purification by fire, that obviously that, you know, big Jewish concept of purification. And, you know, I, I want to, I'll finish this sort of rambling little speech with just a little bit of a stretch and say that it, it did remind me of, you know, some of these Jewish, you know, biblical stories you hear about, you know, Jews being ca- thrown into, you know, like a fiery, you know, a fiery pit, like a fiery oven. It happens with, you know, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar hold you know, throw a bunch of people into a fire as a kind of test of their faith. And it's because they refuse to renounce their faith to God. They're kind of tempted. They're, they're, they're tested with this fire. And I could feel some of the real biblical and just the more intense Jewish influences coming through in that scene. Oh, I love that. And I, I'll say also, like I, I love that Nebuchadnezzar, like the biblical testing of faith. I think what kept it from being truly terrifying and not that this film clearly shies away from that, right? As we've pointed out, like the beating up scene was very intense. You were not totally. He was not okay. You got the sense that the Native American chief, like he didn't really wish him harm, that he was really in like a true sense testing him, like, but testing him in order to learn about him, to see who he was, to like see his heart and soul, not to cause him harm. And so that, even though obviously like, yes, he's being lowered onto a, onto a burning like pit, that's not good. I was never really like truly worried for him. And I think that is, was a really nice balance. It was, it was, and again, I, I, you know, it's a caricature obviously of native American faith and and culture, but other than it being played by white people, it was a nice one. Like I, I liked, I liked the native Americans. I liked the way that they were treating him. Yeah. They weren't portrayed as like savages, which is typically how they're portrayed in Westerns. And so seeing this was kind of a nice change of pace. I I think that the sense you get from that scene is that there's a real mutual respect from both sides and that it's almost like Harrison Ford's character. It's kind of part of his journey of learning to appreciate the sort of community and the religious and like this culture, because, you know, he talks about being this sort of lone, you know, this lone Westerner, this lone cowboy kind of doing his own thing. And, you know, even at the end when, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, he's kind of asked if Gene Wilder's character asks if they want to be like friends, you know, he's, he's like, oh, I, I never had a best friend. So he's sort of this. So part of this movie is kind of as it's taking this detour to kind of show the commonalities between these two religions, these two cultures. I think it's also giving some play to Harrison Ford to say like, oh, like this is a community. I see how they're responding to him, like dancing together. And hmm. that that's I, I think that like, yeah. The, the big part of the scene is these, these cultures coming together. I'm going to even I'm going to build on that because I'm realizing like Harrison Ford is kind of a stand in for like white people in this film. Right. Like Jews at this time were not white. Obviously, the Native Americans aren't white. And I love that after that test of faith. Right. The chief even calls Harrison Ford out. He goes, you who talk to Indians like they're little children. Right. He's like he, he calls. He's like, yeah, but I see you have a good heart. Right. The way that they get portrayed. Another thing for me that makes it such a Jewish film is it's an outsider's film. And so, yes, Native Americans have been have been two dimensionalized and stereotyped as savages and all these white people's films. But if Jews are going to make a film, well, we know what that feels like. How about we make them into real people who actually have like heart and culture and intelligence? And I love, love that so much, even though they couldn't go far enough to actually find Native American actors. I'm going to keep beating that drum, too. But I probably shouldn't say that. But (laughs) sure. I just want to say, like, I think that that is 
you know, such a Western trope of just like all of a sudden that sort of right before the third act or maybe the third act is that these sort of Native Americans like show up and they're kind of nameless. Or sorry, they're, they're wordless and they just, you know, come in and attack our characters and their inversion of that, you know, which turns into which is, you know, you're sort of threatened with that. It's like, oh, what do they want with these characters? They're going to actually burn them. And then when that turns into let's just understand each other, let's all sing and dance together and enjoy the rain. And there's so many shots of them all kind of looking out of the tent, watching the rain fall down and just but not the, you know, be before even that happened. They have a whole theological like they had a theological debate in the middle of a comedy, right? Like, yes. Gene Wilder's mm. rabbi and the chief are talking about the nature of God. Like, what? That doesn't happen in normal films. They built that into a comedy, right? The thing was, God does not make rain! And then it rains. And then just like that, he could change his mind. And he could, right, he could. And Wilder but... still pulls a joke out of it. It's, it's just gold. And just going back on that other point you made about Harrison Ford being that sort of, you know, audience character, like, you know, going back to in the beginning when we were talking about how this film really is just showing it's it's teaching you about Judaism. It's it's giving you tangible examples of what, you know, the Shabbos is and what's this in such a respectful way. And I think his character, I think you're so right about that. Harrison Ford's character is just he's learning alongside him. And, you know, we have to kind of watch how he responds to all this to see, you know, where they want the audience to be. I don't want to say that this was like one of my favorite scenes but I, it's up there like the Native American scene was like very solid and it almost marked a turning point tonally for the film where after this Avram and Tommy continue on their journey after having like gained some wisdom and tripped out on peyote and so Avram eats a lot I think it's peyote right that he he drinks something or eats something and if he That's was truly exactly. a kosher guy it's probably just plants so I would assume it's probably peyote or something so he trips out and he has like a nice dancing sequence and it's lovely and I do remember writing down in the notes that the Indians call they say he's a holy man so they do revere him you know later on as we're as we're kind of heading out of Native American territory and we're kind of getting to where we need to get to kind of we see the coast and there's a sort of like best friend speech where they're supposed to part ways. So Tommy's going to go this way and Avram's going to go this way. Tommy's giving him directions, you know, go down this rock and make a left and da da da, hook her and you can't miss it, that kind of thing. Who's going to be the best man at my wedding? What do you mean? That's for one of your Jewish friends. You got to pick your best friend for that. You are my best friend. I'm your best friend. And they really like, you know, talk it out a bit. And, and again, the Jewish guilt kicks in and he manages to like get him to come with him all the way to San Francisco. And one theory that I wanted to posit, so stretch alert, Tommy does allude to it at one point where they're having a campfire. I think this is the second campfire, maybe when they're like snuggling together for warmth. They talk, oh no, they're playing on the beach, I think. And they're talking about, is, is Tommy an angel, right? And he says something to that extent. I wanted to like posit this theory that maybe he's kind of like a Tyler Durden character. In Fight Club, you know, Tyler Durden is this kind of like imaginary oh. character who's like what everyone aspires to be. And I feel like Tommy is what Avram wants to be maybe, like this tough as nails, but still ethically, you know, questionable, but like not your traditional cowboy because when Tommy is played up against the thugs who scam people and who will kill people recklessly, Tommy is not that. He's not quite the stereotypical cowboy, but just kind of an interesting idea that maybe he's like his alter ego in some bizarre multiverse you, you know, world. Wouldn't go so far as the Tyler Durden thing. That's why it's a stretch. 
No, but I love it. I love it. I love it because, right, and I may be jumping ahead a little bit too much here, so we can, we can like pause and rewind, but like the ultimate scene, right, where he shows up because he's like lost his, he's, I'm no longer worthy to be a rabbi, and he dresses up mm-hmm. like a cowboy, right? He has, in a sense, by the end of the film, I think, earned his spurs, right? He sure, has right. taken on some of the Tyler Durden-y, Harrison Ford Tomminess. Sure. Yeah. I agree. I think that's that's very apt. I was I was going to say the same thing. I think there's certainly a convergence of the characters where it's not quite the alter ego. If you want to if you really sure. want to push and I'm going to I'm going to go with your stretches if it's, you know, legit because <laughs> I, I I take these seriously. So if you really want to investigate and interrogate the Tyler Durden, he does at the end of the movie interact a little too much with the other characters. And, you know, for me to believe that. Uh, that 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 he's kind of in two places at once, but I definitely think that there's something like what's cool about this movie is that as much as Harrison Ford is learning about you know what it means to be respectful, to take things seriously, to have a community, there's it's definitely going both ways, and they they dramatize it to the extreme, like you said, when they put uh, when they put him in like a full cowboy uniform, and all of it, he he actually puts it over his his rabbi you know sort of suit his rabbi clothing, and he kind of like disguises himself, but there's definitely this place where he's learning how to take care of himself, to take care of a community out here, what it means to really be a leader, which is just as important for him as he's about to become the leader of this community. When he's going from the ice skating rabbi who doesn't you know, take his classes seriously to become you know, what this sort of wild Western community needs, he, he has to learn just as much from Harrison Ford, I think, as you know, Harrison Ford's character needs to learn from him. Totally. And before we get too far into the end of the film, just one major plot point that kind of sets up our, our finale is that our scammers from the beginning of the film had now caught up to Tommy and Avram and they have a showdown after Tommy and Avram have like this lovely romp on the beach and they're playing around in their PJs and, and hanging out. The bad guys catch up to them. Finally, they have them at gunpoint. There's a gun battle that ensues and uh, Tommy is shot. I think two of one bad guy gets away, one is killed, and then another one is reaching for his gun. And it's at this point that Avram is confronted with either picking up a, a gun that has fallen and shooting the person who's out to kill him. And Tommy is constantly trying to encourage Avram to defend himself, pick up the piece and shoot him. That performance from Harrison Ford is is inspired. Uh, mm. Shoot him. He's going to kill us. But just dialed up to like 12. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. And the tension, the way they zoomed into the, the gun and they cut back and forth all over the place, really like playing up that sort of tension. And eventually Avram sort of loses his innocence and shoots the guy um, really with no other option other than like be killed. He shoots the other person. The last guy who will show up in our finale runs away. And so that's the end of that for now. We finally arrive in San Francisco. And as Simon, as you mentioned, Avram delivers the Torah to not his intended bride, but his bride-to-be's sister. And they have a lovely discussion. There's nary a mention of, you know, any physical... They don't play any physical gags as they did before, which is Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. It's mostly eye focus. I didn't think your eyes would be as brown as they are in person, that kind of thing. So that's nice, wholesome... More respectful flirting. Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. And he runs away, you know, he's dressed in cowboy gear. And that scene is really funny because it's kind of, it's a costume in a costume in a costume. So it's Gene Wilder playing a Hasidic guy playing a cowboy. So it's like several layers removed. I don't know. I think it's some kind of Torah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The idea that like a, like a cowboy would know what a Torah is and just say, oh, I don't know, some kind of Torah. It's like, it's like, that scene's pretty funny because it's like, it's broken cowboy Yiddish, English, all sorts of uh, good stuff. 
I will, I will say I, I want to push back, not too much on the Tyler Durden thing, but the sort the sort of conversation that they're having, you know, Tommy and Avram go out to celebrate and, and they're talking and, you know, after sort of killing this person, Avram doesn't quite feel like himself. He doesn't feel like a rabbi. And Tommy's like, no, you, this is your calling. You got to do this. And Avram is, you know, having a crisis of faith. And it's kind of an interesting scene. I think he's the, you know, the, he asks, he says, am I your guardian, guardian angel? And I think he's acting as the sort of angel on your shoulder. He's like, no, you should still do this. You're still the rabbi. And that's the kind of encouragement that gets us, you know, to the big ending. Right. I remember being confused as a kid, even like what exactly was the nature of his crisis of faith? I was like, I, you know, I remember being like, I understand he's a simple guy. He, he's like, he's got a really big heart, like killing somebody must have been devastating. But the idea that like he was no longer worthy to be a rabbi, I just remember being like, well, I don't under. And I was also a kid. So I was like, that must be like an adult thing. Yeah. What I thought was so interesting about that is because I think the initial impression is that it's because he just killed a man and it's like he can't deal with killing a man. But we've been saying this whole time that it's like, no, when your life is on the line, you can get on the horse and ride it on Shabbos. You can kill the man. And what I think is interesting is that when he does reveal why he's you know so despondent, he says it's because he said, instead of saving your life, I went for the Torah. He's like, why did I go to this scroll? Like, why, why did I go to this instead of you? And it's almost like he, he's actually answering the question we've been posting mm. this whole time, which is we were asking, dude, like, you should take care of your life before focusing on, you know, like the Torah before focusing on this. And it's almost like he's finally facing that head on. So maybe the movie did know what it was doing earlier and was aware of the kind of like strange decisions he was making early because now he's all, all of a sudden like, why didn't I look out for you? And I, I would argue that's what he learns, you know, most of all from Harrison Ford character. It's to look out for yourself, to look out for your friends, to, you know, take care of yourself a little bit. Right. I mean, take yeah. your head out of the book, I mean, put it in the game. Yeah. I mean, he said, Oh, I chose to rescue a piece of paper instead of my friend. And you know, that's like a, it's a, it's a big thing he's wrestling with. And, you know, after delivering the Torah to the family, they meet him at this bar, they have a discussion about things and, our final bully, I call him our final boss, you know, like in video game terminology, our yeah. final boss shows up. He has everyone at gunpoint. He summons him outside for a duel. I don't remember how Harrison Ford ends up outside. Oh, maybe he runs out and then he gets he gets knocked out. And then they have like a climactic duel uh, at the end. It's, it's an interesting duel because Avram doesn't want to fight. He's done killing people. Now listen to me. The war's over. You understand that? No more killing! And our final boss gives him a gun, sticks it in his pants, and you see that Sitsis, like his religious garb is are just like right there. So it's like a very interesting visual, you know, having him shove the gun in his pants and then he walks away and they're they're doing a draw and he just he keeps firing, kind of taunting him, shoots shooting around him, shooting five, you know, shots or something like that. Come on, shoot, draw, draw. And he doesn't want to do anything. And then he comes over and I think he hits him or something like that. And somehow or another, the, the gun ends up out of his hands. And Tommy comes in at the end, kind of saves the day and puts an end, uh, you know, before Tommy can kind of go in and finish the final boss, Avram says, enough, enough fighting, enough fighting. And they, they say, what does he say? He says a really nice line, which is kind of like assertive, but like very clever. This is a very big country. I'll tell you what I think is the best thing. I'll take San Francisco, you take the rest of America. And if you ever come back to this place again, I don't think you're going to get off so easy. But it's pretty authoritative and it's like a very, 
it's it's kind of like a full not full circle, but it's like a full one eighty from his I original. I think he does meek. use some of the language. Like if I see you in the sun, come like he uses he echoes back. I forget what it was too, but it was some echo of something that had been said to him uh-huh. or that he'd heard. Yeah, so he did pick up a few things here and yeah. there. And then we sort of finish the film. Let's have a drink to celebrate. Who's paying? I think is is one of the last lines that we hear. You know, at the end we have a beautiful wedding scene. Avram gets married to his beloved bride, and then. Tommy comes over and also kisses the bride on the mouth is like a gag. But I was just like, what's what's going on? You go and then ahead. I think the, the father then kisses her on the like her father then kisses yeah. her on the mouth. It, it must have been, you know, some European custom that they're kind of playing up. But I think the idea was that Tommy would come over and just maybe do what? I'm not sure. But uh, he ended up just kissing her on the mouth, which was kind of like a weird choice. But anyway. <sighs> I think we can go stronger than weird. I think yeah. it was a was a, it was an unpleasant, uncomfortable kind of decision. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Before we get too far ahead, I want to just jump back to the duel just real please, quickly please. because yeah. I think that that sort of pacifistic solution, right, where it's you have them in a duel and you're you're comparing this to a lot of you know big Western showdowns. It's what the movie's building towards. It's even as you thought they kind of got away. It's like you're still waiting for that showdown in the street in the middle of the night outside the saloon. Like that is you know, as Western as it gets. And I think to answer the question rather of like, what would it look like if a rabbi was one of the characters in a Western, you know, like if in that height, imagine that this entire movie, you know, was built off of the premise of what would it be like if a rabbi was in a duel, you know, that solution of kind of just pressing this pacifism and saying, I'm not going to kill you, but get out of here and I'm going to intimidate you and get the community to rally behind me, you know, feels like the, the film's kind of final major, like Jewish stroke. Like that, I thought was a very cool, like this is the Jewish Western, you know, that that's what this movie's doing. That's exactly. Exactly right. Like, and, oh, this is so good. What what would make this a Jewish character? How would a Jewish final duel work? Yeah, we exactly. could be a tough guy, but isn't it more interesting to watch him be kind of like Solomonic about it, right? Like, how can I use my intelligence? How can I use my heart rather than just my brawn to solve this without killing you? I love, like, I love it so much. Oh, it makes me happy. I love it too. And I think it's like a really interesting way to kind of not have to resort to violence because I think having crossed that threshold earlier and just feeling so icky about it when he did it, I think he just didn't want to go there. And, and like you said, Harry, having the community literally like lift him up and just get him out of there was really symbolic and kind of nice. So let's end on that. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. So we are back to discuss our our Jewish ratings for this film. And if you've been listening to some of the other episodes, we're going to do this a little bit different. Instead of going through individual scores for the content themes productions, we're, we're still going to talk about those, but, you know, use our thoughts from those to formulate a final Jewish score, a Jewish ranking, you know, out of five stars. So, uh, Simon, would you like to start us off at with this film? Great. So I will admit to being completely ignorant of the like behind the scenes cat like the crew of this um and in front of the camera like other than wilder and as we said technically harrison i don't know that there were any jews on this on the on the in the cast um but i i, I just get the sense that there was a deeply jewish lens in this right like it, there was an eye on it so it feels very jewish yeah the writers were michael elias and frank shaw you may know them from such films as uh, so frank shaw wrote on a bunch of comedy shows in the 60s and 70s and then uh, michael elias wrote on that he wrote the jerk he wrote lush life i don't know what that is but um 
Yeah, I mean, he wrote a bunch of TV, but I think one of his notable credits is uh, he wrote for Steve Martin and he wrote The Jerk, uh, classic Steve Martin movie. And this was directed by Robert Aldrich, who was a director who directed The Longest Yard and The Dirty Dozen and a bunch of other sort of genre pictures. So this is kind of right in line with his sort of stuff that he would do. Uh, Harry, do you want to talk about the film? Yeah, sure. So Robert Aldrich, I did look up before. He is Jewish. And oh, uh, he definitely is, okay. a part of yeah, and definitely a part of his person. And I think you know Harrison Ford, Gene, Gene Wilder. We mentioned you know definitely Jewish. And I would say that because Gene Wilder is one of those actors that carries at least in this film, and I haven't seen all of his stuff, but a, a certain Jewishness to him and the authenticity. And I know I'm I'm talking about the content a little bit more because obviously a lot of the Yiddish and a lot of the language, but he carries it so believably. I'm, I'm going to give him credit for it. So I would say that, you know, just by his face alone and obviously leading the entire film, it, it gives it a very Jewish production feel, I would say. Yeah, I think so. I would echo kind of what you two had said, you know, in terms of Wilder lending a lot of Jewish cred to the film and then having the writers be Jewish and the director, you know, there's not a lot of other cast and crew that, you know, stuck out as Jewish or having Jewish sensibilities in the film. So I would say that he sort of anchors the film in its Jewishness. And we'll talk more about that, like I said, in the content and themes. Yeah. But um, from a Jewish, you know, production perspective, it's like, you know, pretty, de pretty Jewish, but not like Yentl Jewish or you know, other films that we've covered before. So what do we think about some of the content? You know, I definitely think comparing it to, to Yentl, it feels, I would, I would argue more Jewish in its content because of a lot of the accuracy that we're talking about. And because of just like the deep cuts, we, we mentioned this in the Yentl pod. And, you know, if you haven't listened to that one, I'll just fill you in. But there, there is a lot of like Jewish text that's actually spoken in that film. They talk about things from, from Pirkei Avot specifically that are, are brought up, but they're kind of brought up out of context. And it's like, it's almost like name dropping. It's like, oh, if you're Jewish and you're familiar with some of the most classic texts, you'll understand this. And it'll be like, oh, wow, Yentl did its research. But with this film, it, it's so specific and so intentional with some of the, the prayer that it brings in and some of like the quotes, you know, I mentioned it earlier when he's, when he's doing the Shir Shalyom of Thursday as a way to key in what's going to happen, like as a way to key in, you know, this like Shabbos coming, it's just, it is so in tune and so specific that uh, I, I would say this is, you know, very Jewish in its content. What do you guys think about that? I would echo that so powerfully, Harry. Absolutely. Like I, and I love Yentl growing up too. And Mandy Patinkin, like a, a Titan, right. And such, such a Jewish performer, Barbara Streisand, both of them very, right. And also, yeah, what you said, it, it felt like both of them was weird. It was like the same way that, uh, Gene Wilder was a rabbi playing a cowboy. Like they were like Jews playing not, it's like they were in drag almost as themselves. Like yep. Yentl didn't have the same in his kishkas the way that Gene Wilder, like you just felt the Judaism in him kind of coming out of his pores, not performing. It was, it was yes, one of the most, which is why, why I wanted to talk about it because it is the most deeply Jewish film that I can think of. Makes sense, totally. I mean, I would agree. Um, I mean, the story is literally about a rabbi going to his congregation and bringing a Torah along as his sort of like sacred object that is constantly, that's sort of the damsel in distress, if you will. Like that is the thing that is constantly being rescued from fire. You know, they take the breastplate, one of the, um, on, on the Torah, there's like a silver sort of necklace, it's a decorative piece, but you know, some one of the bullies takes that, he takes Avram takes it back, but I think the Torah is constantly being put in danger, and maybe that's a symbolism, a little stretch action. But like, you know, his religion is being put into called into question, and it, it 
through the obstacles he faces, it's similar to the Torah is, is, is being thrown in the fire or kidnapped or it falls off his horse and he has to go back and get it. And, you know, the whole idea is fairly Jewish. Like, you know, I think it's packaged in a Western buddy comedy travel movie kind of thing. But I think overall it's a pretty Jewish film content wise. Harry, how do you think like thematically this film stacks up? Yeah, so I I do think, you know, it's not as pronounced as the content. We mentioned that there's a lot of, you know, Western illusions here. And a lot of those themes do carry over about, you know, making your way in this kind of new land and this uncivilized. And there's a lot of themes there. But I, I certainly see that there's a real Jewish there's just like this Jewish thread going throughout this film about like, you know, the crises of faith and what that means, you know, sort of to believe in, you know, to believe in God and to kind of carry that with you and what that, you know, the Jewish values, I think of like transmission and of, you know, teaching over to, you know, Harrison Ford's character, teaching over to the new community. And, you know, I'll, I'll go with a stretch. I'll, I'll bring a stretch all the way into the themes, into the theme section. I know, I know it's a little late for stretches, but I'm going to give it anyways. I mean, I, I see the biblical allusions to like the story of Job. And I don't think this is the first time in the podcast I've mentioned Job because, I'll, you know, Job is the ultimate melodrama. It's the story of a character who's you know, faith is questioned by these endless trials and every possible thing that can go bad, you know, is happening to him. And like, as much as I can place that on, you know, most movies, because it's a great, you know, framework, it's a great setup for, you know, a comedic film or even a dramatic film. Like it, there's, there's definitely this impression in the beginning that he has this simple journey. He's going to get to Philadelphia, get on a boat, go straight to San Francisco and just be over with it. And it's like, step by step, he's making all the wrong decisions and everything's going wrong. And especially in a movie that's so bound, that's so concerned with his faith, you know, and how strong it is. It, it feels like there's this Joe blends of, you know, questioning your faith in the face of real adversity in the face of it's taking the themes of Western adversity and turning it into a question of your faith in God. And to me, that just feels like such a Jewish, a Jewishly thematic frame to put this entire movie in. So, you know, I'd, I'd not to ruin what my final score is going to be on this film's Jewishness, but between all of those, it's going to be pretty high. Simon, do you have any thoughts about some of the themes here? I know. I think you've, you've encapsulated it beautifully. I, I would never have gone to Job, but what a what a what a wonderful lens, right? All of the challenges that he faces, and he never he never really loses faith in God, right? He loses faith in himself, right? But never never in and I, I also love that idea of the Torah as the damsel in distress. Also, not a frame I had considered. I love that idea, right? Just the continual reimagining of classic Western tropes um, through a Jewish lens. I, just. It keeps getting deeper and deeper. What's that? What's that phrase? Right. Turn it over and over for everything is in it. It's a Talmudic phrase about the Torah. Right. So it, awesome. it applies to this uh, film as well. For me, I think the film is uh, thematically Jewish. As we mentioned, there's like a lot of really heartfelt, deep uh, themes running through it. You know, there's a conversation with Native American with our Native American chief about God. We didn't really talk about this too much, but the whole idea of stretch alert, you know, this you sort of like blind faith you know there's a scene where avram like jumps into the river with his horse and like tommy's like oh, okay and he just has like blind faith in of whatever avram did he like trusted him and he did the similar thing where he jumped into the river with his horse it's kind of like a weird uh, scene and then later on you know ethically we're talking about you know tommy robs a bank and then avram gets half of the share but then he returns it back and that's kind of like a nice you know 
just it's just good media, good good deeds are being portrayed throughout the film, and it's never like it ever goes to you know sort of a Jew gone bad situation. They never portray that, which I think is nice. It's kind of like what we call a kiddush Hashem. It's like a sanctification of God's name, but really it refers to like is it good for the Jews? Is it good? For, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's probably a good way to look at it. But I would say that like you know if this was someone's first exposure to a Jewish person, you'd be like, oh, this is like a pretty solid person ethically and you know it's a good jew it's definitely a good jew mm-hmm. so i would say that this film stacks up pretty high for me as well thematically let's close let's come in for our final thoughts um simon you're our guest what do you think this film rates on a scale of one to five jewish stars in terms of you know factoring in all these things we just talked about and, and just your general thoughts about the film on a one to five scale I'm wondering if I have to like grade on a curve, right? Considering what the rest of the industry allows for, right? In a perfect world, would it be a five? Perhaps not. But in the universe that we live in, it is a solid, solid five. Like it is the most Jewish film of all the films. Harry? Uh, Yeah, I want to piggyback off of that. And I think you just said that so well, because I was torn. You know, I didn't want to give it the five because part of me, you know, I made a joke earlier in in an earlier podcast that, you know, the the five out of five stars has to be the film that's just like a film of rabbis. And you know what? In some ways, that is what this was. You know, we're following a rabbi's journey and, you know, it's about getting back to his community. So certainly on the scale of, you know, any other film that I've seen and just, yeah, like, if, if it's content, if it's production, if it's themes, if they're all so strongly rooted in Jewish, like, yeah, there's room for more. It could have been in a casting crew that was exclusively hired Jewish. And, you know, the story could have just been two hours of, you know, a group of Jews debating the Talmud and, you know, in a room together. Sure. But like for a narrative film, for, you know, a popular narrative film to be this Jewish and this just respectful and just loving of, you know, all things Jewish. Yeah, I, I think there's a five star. Absolutely. I actually have to I have to the way you're saying that is making me think of even more. Right. I actually don't. What does it mean for a film to be Jewish? Which, by the way, is such a Jewish question to ask on a Jewish it's podcast. It's the question of this podcast. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Right? So, like, I actually don't think that a, a f- movie about a bunch of rabbis talking together for me would be terribly Jewish. Yes, it's about Jews. Is that what it doesn't make it a Jewish film? There's something about this film. And I, I actually, as I'm as, answering the question, realizing like I have finished fully processing or thinking out or being able to articulate why, why I love this film, why it's so Jewish. It's because all of the Jewish values and you watch this Jewish character and all the unusual ways, not stereotypical, not sitting in a base measure, like not just like cookie cutter Jewish. Right. It just makes it so much more Jewish to me because of the fish out of water. It's just, it's ineffable like God. Yeah. Daniel, how do you feel about that? Are you going to join our chorus of praise of Jewish praise or are you going to be, are you going to take the heel turn right now? Come in with like a one star. It's me. The heel. <laughs> knew it was coming. Naughty yeah. whiplash. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, I love the way, like you said, Simon, the way that this is like a Jew in the real world, so to speak, in our in our imagined world, but like sort of not in the comforts of a yeshiva or not, you know, whatever, in a, in a very Jewish environment. I feel like that's when kind of a Jew's true colors come out is when they're out in the public. And how do you practice your Judaism among cowboys and Native mm. Americans and folks on the chain gang? And how do you how do you show them that you're a good person and you're constantly wearing your kippah? He doesn't have like a hat for most of the film. Only towards the end, he wears the cowboy hat. But most of the time he's wearing his kippah. You know, he's a good Jew. He practices really good ethics. I really 
enjoyed the accuracy of the film. I like this film a lot because of its portrayal of, of Judaism. Maybe, yeah, let's go, let's go five stars, baby. Whoa, three <laughs> across the board. Boom. This is a, this like, is the gold standard. Y'all have convinced me. I mean, I feel like I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, I was going to ding it because like maybe there's not more Jews in the cast, but I feel like having Gene Wilder be like the sort of the Jew in the film is sort of, and having him be such an exemplary Jew in the film and such a model Jew, I feel a mensch as it were, you know, such a mensch and, you know, his mind's not in the gutter. It's very ethical, very fair, very just, you know, but he does what needs to get done. He gets that tour to San Francisco. He marries his bride to be's sister instead. And they have like a preliminary dance to say, Oh, will you dance with your fiance? That was kind of funny and weird, but whatever. But yeah, overall, I'd say let's go five stars. You know, why not? Mm. Why Simon, thank you so much for joining us on this wild ride. I feel like at the beginning of the podcast, we started in Poland and we've arrived here in San Francisco. You guys were journey. You were along for the ride and I do appreciate it. Simon, is there anything uh, from television or film that you want to plug? Uh, sure. Uh, I've got an episode of Billions that came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've got this Purim video that I play Heyman in for the Maccabees. Um, and I've got a film called Love Reconsidered that should be, it's in post now. I, I played Judy Gold's husband. So if that's not enough of a, re- if you know Judy Gold, the comedian, we make, we make quite a Jewish couple. I never get to play Jews, let alone that kind of Jew. It was, it was a lot of fun. So you played Gary in that. And prior I to did. that, you were in The Last Will playing family lawyer. <laughs> oh, that was, a, that was actually a very long time ago. I, oh, I okay. don't know why that's still listed as in post. That's like four or five years. And you played Chris Brown in Billions. Yes, yes. Uh, a, an expert witness that Paul Giamatti's character is looking to be the linchpin of his case. It says here that you also were in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel playing Curtis. Any memorable experiences from that shoot? Yes. The entire story of how I got that role is actually fantastic. You know, it's such a Jewish show. Um, and this, I got that part before the show had even aired. So no one really knew what it was yet. And I'd auditioned for it a couple times. And then they asked me to come in to do what's called a table read, right? Where they read the whole script for the creators can hear it. Um, and they had me read five roles, the rabbi, the cantor, this lawyer that A brings home. It's, it's a bait and switch, right? We think it's a setup, but it's actually a divorce lawyer. And then Curtis one of Joel's co-workers. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Davin Kabbalat Shabbat and I'm gonna act. They're gonna see I can do the Jew stuff and the acty stuff. It's gonna be amazing. And I got the script and the Kabbalat Shabbat stuff not only had Kabbalat Shabbat, like the prayers on Friday night, but also Anna Bekoach, which is this kind of like esoteric Kabbalistic, yeah. right? And I was so impressed. And at the table read, I ended up just happenstance, got sat next to the one of the writers. And I was like, hey, Anna Bekoach. He's like, I paid attention in Hebrew school which was awesome. Nice. Um, and then after I read all those roles, they offered me the one Gentile. Right? Huh. I was like, oh man, but you know, I got to take, it's a great show. I'm in. Nice. Fantastic. One, one day I will get to play a real Jew. One day. Yeah. God willing. Maybe in the remake of the Frisco kid, you could play Gene Wilder's role. Oh, as oh God, I cannot feel Start growing out your beard. Yeah. Wow, oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's coming. It's coming. It's coming in. Harry, anything to plug? No plugs, but uh, I really enjoyed that discussion. It's cool. Yeah. A Harrison Ford film, you know, this mainstream Harrison Ford film from the 70s is such a pronounced Jewish film. I really enjoyed that. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for chatting with Frisco Kid. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film. And uh, if you have any films you'd like us to check out, make sure to post and message us and do whatever you need to do and suggest some films for us. And uh, yeah, have a good one. Thanks so much.
Can I do an outro for you? Sure. Jews on film. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Daniel Zana and Harry Ottensaucer. Harry Ottensaucer edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film and subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.